You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, Great to have you together here with the South Bay Church. And uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Brand New. Genius, right? Uh, And uh, so if you're visiting with us today, we're really grateful that you're here. Uh, Today's a great time for you to be visiting because we're starting this five-week series together. And uh, so we'd love for you to come back and join us on this journey as we go through uh, this series called Brand New. Really what this series is about is what the church was always meant to be. What did Jesus intend for the church to be? And the title of the lesson today is Letting Go. Sometimes we hold on to things that hold us back from who God wants us to be, either personally or as a church. We can hold on to things God is wanting us to let go of. And all of us can sometimes be resistant to change. Uh, Somehow, the older we get, I think we like change even less. Uh, But uh, we can all be resistant to change. But God is all about newness. There's a great verse in the book of Isaiah where God says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I'm studying the book of Isaiah in my quiet times right now, and I I love it because it's so deep, so full of metaphor and rich uh, imagery, but it's also so timeless. Like Isaiah kind of captures all of God's perspective. It talks about creation. It talks about the fall of Satan. It talks about the coming kingdom. It talks about Jesus and Here it's interesting even that the way, did you know that that's what the early church called themselves? They called themselves the way. And God is saying, I'm doing something new. It stands out in contrast to its environment. If you're in a wilderness, I mean, think about those movies we've seen of the jungle, you know, when when maybe it's a Vietnam movie or something where they're trying to get through the jungle. Or for some of the younger people, maybe it's Walking Dead, you know, as they're trying to get through this jungle area. And And then there's a way. There's a, there's a path, there's a road that stands out in contrast. He talks about streams in the wilderness. Did you know Jesus said that he came to bring streams of living water? That that's why he was here? And, and a stream, if you're in the wilderness, if you're in a wasteland, I mean, even, even just, it's called a wasteland. That's just bad. Everything about it is bad. If you're in a wasteland and you find a stream of water, man, that's a, that stands out in contrast. God brings newness. God brings life. That's who God is. And so that's what this series is all going to be about. That's who the church is supposed to be. And, uh, but again, we can be resistant to change. Uh, the older I get, the more uh, I kind of get set in my ways. And uh, God has given me a great voice in my life to help me with that. And that's Marshall Craig. Because uh, Marshall, my son, is always trying to think of a new way to do something. And always questioning, is there a better way we could do this? And, you know, sometimes it's like, no, why not? Well, because we've always done it this way, or that's just the way we do it. You know, but actually, your way is better. Okay, you know, let's do it your way. And, uh, but he's always been like that, a questioner, even when he was a little baby. Not a baby, but like barely not a baby. (laughs) When he could barely talk. I remember we were, we we ride on planes uh, a lot uh, because we go visit my family in New Jersey, or we visit visit my wife's family in, in Denver. And uh, we were riding on a plane. He was probably two years old, barely talking. And uh, we were getting ready to take off. And I, I just said, okay, we got to put, our, our stu- put our stuff under our seats. we got to put our seat tables 
up. We have to put the seat table away now. Don't ask me why. We just have to do this when we take off. And he, go, and he looks at me. He thought for a second. He looked up at me. He goes, why I can't ask you why? <laughs> and that's just totally who he is, you know? Always wants to know why. And I love that because it, it helps me not to be stuck. It helps me to go, okay, yeah, let's rethink. Even things that we do as a church, he's always going, why do we do that? How about what, maybe we should do this. I love that because that, that's what we need. We need newness. We need freshness. We need to always be reinventing ourselves. I, I saw a video on uh, Facebook this last week that challenged me uh, as a musician because this was a video by Neil Peart. Does anybody know who Neil Peart is? Okay, Clay, I told you I had a surprise for you there. Uh, Neil Peart is the drummer for Rush. And if you're a drummer or a musician at all, Neil Peart is like, he's the man. Like, you know, Neil Peart and Stuart Copeland, you know, those are like the guys, the drummers that, you know, you grow up like, man, I, Neil Peart, he's amazing. So he, he recently totally reinvented himself as a drummer. Like the guys wanted to make a new album. He said, oh, I can't. I'm in the process of reinventing myself. And he had this instructor he was learning from and he was training. He changed the way that he held his hands. He changed the way he set up his drums, changed his whole philosophical approach to drumming. Now, this is the best drummer in the world, you know what I mean? Completely reinvented himself with, with his drumming. And, uh, you know, that challenged me, like, wow, if anybody could be set in their ways, it's Neil Peart after 30 years of touring with Rush. You know, he could be set in his ways. But he wanted to reinvent himself. I thought, that's, that's, there's a spiritual lesson in that. And there's a video with it. I posted it on my Facebook music page if you want to see it, J. Brian Craig Music. So go check it out, Clay, but it's, it's pretty good. I was going to show it to you, but I'm like, well, I don't know. Some people will really love it. Other people will be like, eh, whatever, you know, so I'm not going to show it. But churches in particular can be very resistant to change. Um, you know, the, I, I grew up in, in this church. Our church is a part of what's called the Restoration Movement. The whole idea of our, of our church movement or over the last several hundred years is we want to try to restore New Testament Christianity. We want to try to get back to New Testament Christianity. And, of course, that itself is always kind of changing. And uh, we're going to talk more next week about church history and kind of how we got here. The title of the lesson next week is How We Got Here. But, but as, a, as a kid growing up in, in, in this church, it, it's changed a lot. You know, years ago, when I was growing up, we didn't have any instruments. It was only a cappella singing. Uh, it was much, there was a little more of a solemn feel. The church I was growing up, you never would clap for a song or clap for a speaker. It was just everything would kind of be solemn, you know, be quiet. Be... And I remember when hugging started happening in church. You know what I mean? Like all these campus students started becoming Christians, and Andy remembers he's nodding, you know. All these campus students started becoming, and they're all giving, and they're hugging each other. And I remember it was kind of like, oh, that's weird. People are hugging each other at church. <laughs> Uh, I remember when, uh, you know, we started clapping at church, and that was uh, crazy. You know, we're going to sing and clap? What? And uh, some of us still can't do that. You can pick one or the other, which is fine. It's fine. You can pick one or the other. But, you know, we're, we're still changing. You know, we, we've got a band every week. We've got PowerPoint and videos and lights, and, and we haven't had the fog machine here yet, but we will at some point. And, you know, different stuff. I mean, some changes I really like. I really like the fact that I can preach in jeans and I don't have to wear a tie. That never would have happened back in the day. And some of you right now are wearing flip-flops. Uh, some of you right now are wearing shorts. Uh, someday we're going to have a, a flip-flop Sunday where everybody just wears flip-flops to church. Uh, I think that'd be awesome. But, you know, we, we kind of keep changing. And, uh, but it's not really just about that. It's not just about getting rid of the stained glass. There's a lot less stained glass these days. There's a lot less people in robes and, 
and uh, some of the formalities. I want to show a video. This kind of, to me, is like where a lot of American church is headed and kind of what, what they're trying to be as a church. And uh, see this, see this uh, video and see if you can relate it all to, to this. You can't stop it. It's coming to a town near you. It used to be called contemporary. Some call it relevant. We're so cool, we call it contemporvent. Young, hip guy welcoming all with graffiti and cool glasses. I welcome everybody with arms wide open, revealing my tattoo so you know I have a past. Quirky transition to band. Invite everyone to stand. Let's do it. This is the song that everyone knows. It's the song that everyone knows. I just want to invite the ushers up as we prepare for our offering. Hmm. Feel free to give if you feel led. It's between you and God, but we're tracking it. have all the answers. Showing a picture of a puppy and or a baby from an impoverished third world nation. Speaking softly to draw you in. And then emphatically, driving home my point. On pause. Whispering. Repetition. Still pausing. Pained expression. Long prayer so that the worship leader can get back on stage. church you will be lifted high and challenged to grow we call that grotivation you call this sunday morning <laughs> i love uh i love some of these uh, awards you can't quite read them but this is winner papyrus font awards this is winner informally dressed pastor awards and a winner edgy t-shirt awards <laughs> oh man we're funny but um, you know uh, there are a lot of churches that are trying so hard to be cool right now how do we get the young people we got to be really cool and uh, we're trying to do some stuff we're, we're, we're just not cool though I mean we're <laughs> you know except Jason Papillera Jason's very cool um, but you know we, 
the church is not that either. You know, like the church Jesus established is something different. Uh, it's something different than even what kind of American Christianity is trying to become. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the, the one thing I want you to take away today is don't go to church. <laughs> and I'll explain that later. I'll explain what that means. Don't go to church. Uh, and if, you are, uh, if you're visiting with it, somehow you got here today, but you're not a church type person. And, and somehow you just kind of ended up being here, but you've kind of always been turned off by religion. Or you've always been turned off by church. Or you've always been church turned off by churchy people or, you know, uh, quote unquote Christians. Uh, you know, you're in a good place because a lot of us feel that way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us were turned off by a lot of religious stuff, and that's kind of how we ended up here uh, because we're trying to get back to just authentic Christianity and, and the Bible and our lives and, and, and not kind of this fluff or not this show, but like uh, who we are. And we'll talk more about that. But uh, we're going to talk about something Steve uh, introduced a few years ago and, uh, or a few months ago. I think it was last year called the temple model. Uh, you guys remember that? So the temple model is something that we see in the Old Testament, something that this was what religion was at the time Jesus came. It was this, this temple model. And it wasn't just in Judaism. It was in other religions as well. Uh, it was in other religions probably before Judaism. And then God kind of took this model and made it the right kind of thing. It, 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 we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But the temple model always has sacred places, sacred texts, sacred men, and sincere followers. This is the temple model. So there's a special place that you go to to worship. There's a special man who, who, who's teaching you what those texts really mean. There are, uh, there are you know, everything is, is, is a special and sacred and holiness. This is the temple model. And when, when Jesus came, it, it, it meant the end of the temple model and the beginning of something entirely new, brand new that Jesus brought. And yet over church history, we've seen a slip back to that temple model time and time again. And that can even happen in our church here today, right here in the South Bay Church. We can slip into temple model thinking. So we're going to be talking with this series about what, what is the temple model and what is the Jesus model and how do we avoid the temple model? And how do we really be the church that Jesus called us to be? So we're going to be talking about a few things that Jesus brought that were new. So we're going to be looking at Luke 22. If you go ahead and turn there, I'm going to pray. I always like to pray before we open the Bible. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into Luke 22. God, thank you to be together today. Thank you for being able to worship you, to be able to sing songs to you, to be able to connect with you and, and uh, share communion together and remember Jesus' body and blood given for us. Just pray right now as we open your scriptures that you would speak to us through your word Thank you so much that we can possess your word. Thank you that we can have copies of it on our phone and uh, on our computer and in our lives, everywhere we go, God. I pray that we could be people of the word and uh, really drink deeply of your word. Help us right now as we look at who Jesus was. I pray that you really speak through your word to us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, first new thing Jesus brought was a new covenant. A new covenant says, this is uh, why we took communion here a few minutes ago. It says, as he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you got to realize the significance of that. What were they doing? at the, What kind of meal were they sharing at this time? They were having what's called the Passover meal. What the Passover meal was, was something that the Jews had been doing this for 1,400 years. This is a very long time of tradition. 
Much longer, you know, you think about Christmas traditions that we have. Christmas has not been around in the way that we do it nearly as long as uh, the Passover was at this time. This was established, this was like the defining thing that the Jews did was celebrate Passover together. And they had unleavened bread. Why did they have unleavened bread? Because it was to remind them that they had to run away from Egypt in a hurry. And they didn't have time even to have bread with yeast in it. They had to just make some quick bread, throw it together. So they would have unleavened bread together. And, And there was other things that went into the Passover meal. But that's what they were celebrating when Jesus said, now I want you to do this in remembrance of me. It's almost as if somebody said, okay, now Christmas is going to mean something totally different. That would be pretty radical, right? Uh, That's what Jesus was saying. It's a whole new thing. It's a whole new model that I'm bringing, a whole new covenant. It says in verse 20, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The covenant was a covenant means agreement, a binding agreement. And covenant was the, the covenant that God had made with Abraham. That, that I will bless you, I will uh, bless pe- other people because of you, uh, you will take my name, you, will, you have circumcision that, that will signify this covenant, and, and it's a binding agreement. And then as children of Abraham, that covenant followed the people of God. So they saw themselves as children of Abraham, and they saw themselves as children of that covenant God had made with Abraham. Now, Jesus says, I am bringing a whole new covenant. It's not about animal sacrifices anymore, as Clay talked about. It's about my blood. It's through my blood. Through the, it's a covenant in Jesus' blood. And so what that means, that the covenant through Jesus' blood means it's not our own law-keeping that makes us right with God. It's not our own adherence to the law. There, there, the law was given, and we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians with this series, and Paul says the law of, of, was given for a purpose. That was to bring us to Christ. It's like we had to go through that process of having the law in order to be able to understand who Jesus really was. But now that the new covenant is here, our righteousness does not come from our own holiness. And as Clay said, when we sin, we feel, we've, oh man, I sinned, I, I messed up. And, but that's where we go to the cross and, and we are forgiven again. First John says that as disciples, as followers of Jesus, his blood continually cleanses us of sin. That's the amazing thing. That the, Hebrew, the Hebrew writer says he offered himself. He is our priest. We don't have a priest anymore. We don't have a sacred man anymore. He is our priest. And he not, not only took some other sacrifice, but he offered his very self for us. Once for all, uh, the book of Hebrews says. So through his blood, we are able to be at peace with God. Isn't that amazing? So the covenant uh, through Jesus is, is through his blood and not through our own law keeping and when when jesus died the bible says the temple of the curtain was torn in two as if to this physical reality that signified a spirituality that now the way is open into the holy of holies what that curtain was it was to protect this holy place that you couldn't go in there any ordinary person we can't go in there because we're sinful and yet that curtain is torn in two so now we can have a right relationship with god and that's the second thing that jesus brought that was new is a new relationship A new relationship. Turn to Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Some translations say, Uh, or some manuscripts say also your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that's how his kingdom comes 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It says down in verse 9. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, he taught them to pray to God as their father. This was something that was totally new. Up until this point, God was the creator God. He, they knew his name, Yahweh, the creator, the, the, the maker of all things. But they didn't call him father. They didn't, excuse me, they didn't have that kind of intimate relationship with God. It was only through Jesus that we are able to pray to God as our father. Not only as our father, but as our Abba father. Jesus used this term for daddy, Abba. And, and daddy might not even be right. It's more like dada. Like Abba is like what a baby says. You know how little babies, they, when they first are saying mommy and daddy, mama, mama, da, 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 da. That's what Abba is. Abba, ba, ba, ba. It's a baby's word for God. That's the relationship that we can have with God, like a little child that God, we're, we're, because of his blood, that we can have that holy relationship with God like a, a, a daddy and a, and a little infant. And so he says, you know, you guys are parents. You know how to give gifts to your kids. If, if your kid asks you for a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a stone. You know, if he's like, Dad, I'm hungry. Oh, here you go. Here's a rock. You know, no, nobody's going to do that to their kid. He says, if they, if they say, I'm hungry, Dad, can I eat something? You, you know, and he asks for a, a piece of fish, you're not going to give him a live snake. Here you go. <laughs> you know, he's like, Jesus goes, you guys are evil. You're, you're wicked people, but at least you're good parents. You know how to give good gifts to your kids. And, and he says, that's who God is. God, how much more God? How much more is God a good and loving father to us? So we have a new relationship that, that, that was totally new at the time that Jesus brought. A new relationship. No more sacred men. We're all children of God. There is no like clergy laity. There is no priesthood and, and the, and the, and the no, nobodies. You know, we're, I, I get to work for the church full time. I'm really grateful for that. But I have no more holiness than anybody here. I have no more, the Holy Spirit I have is, is not any more better than somebody else here. You know, like, uh, I, I think, uh, I, I like how, was Mufid sharing that last week, or was it Frank? I can't remember. But just how it's not like there's a Holy Spirit 4.0, and you have the Holy Spirit 1.0, but I've got the 4.0. You know, we're all, we're all the same. The Bible says we're all a priesthood. All of us is a, is a holy priesthood. All of us are holy. There is no more sacred uh, man that, that's going to tell you how, how it is. And the church is, what the church is now is a, is a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells by His, by his presence within us. So like when, when they asked Jesus, when's the kingdom going to come? We hear you talking about this kingdom. You know, what kind of kingdom is it? They were expecting a Messiah, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, who is a conquering hero, a, a, a kingly figure. And they were expecting an earthly kingdom. And so when they asked him about his kingdom, in Luke 17, he says, my kingdom is not going to be like, oh, there it is, or there it is. My kingdom is among you. It's within you. And Ephesians 2 says, we are a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Like, no longer is there this physical temple, but we are the temple. We, each one, are li a living stone that form the temple, 1 Peter 2 says. We are a living temple. Isn't that cool? So that gives you a whole new idea of what this, this movement, what this church is, is supposed to be about. And that's the, the third point here is a new movement. Jesus brought a new movement. A whole new uh, way of, of relating to each other and relating to God. Uh, so in Matthew 16, 
just to give you a little context here, they went to Caesarea Philippi. This is a city north, a little bit north, you know, several days journey north. This was a, a very Roman city. This city it was called Caesarea was the new name that was given to it in honor of Caesar because he'd had a victory. And so now it's Caesar. So this is like Caesar's city, uh, Caesar's palace in, in Las Vegas. You know, no, this is like Caesar's place. So they're not they're not in the temple. They're not in a in a Jewish area right now. They're in a very Roman area. And so maybe they're having a conversation about these different men of history, or maybe they're talking about Caesar, or maybe they're talking about, you know, I don't, I don't know the, exactly what conversation they were having, but he, as they're there and as they're talking, he asks those guys, hey, what are you hearing? Who are people saying that I am? What are people saying about me? And they said, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist, uh, and, you know, we, we all know Herod killed John the Baptist, but you rose from the dead, and now you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're one of the prophets from the Old Testament. Some people say you're Elijah because the Jews believed that before uh, Jesus came, before the Messiah come, Elijah would come back. And because the Bible prophesied Elijah is going to come and then the Messiah will come. And so, uh, you know, his followers believe that is Elijah is John the Baptist because John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah in the wilderness. And there's a lot of parallels. And so that that was fulfilled. But but some people were saying, well, no, Jesus, he's that's Elijah come back from the dead. And that's who he is. So, you know, there's all these different things about Jesus and who he was at the time. So Jesus says, well, what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, answered, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. Messiah literally means anointed one, which you would anoint a king, right? In the Old Testament, that's who the king is going to be. You are the anointed one. You are this promised king from God that's going to conquer all other kingdoms and going to establish God's holy kingdom. That's who you are. We believe that. Even though you're a carpenter from this, you know, hick town of Nazareth, we believe you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. This is something that God has shown you. And I tell you that you are Peter. Peter means little rock, a little pebble or a little stone. And on this rock, the, the word there is a big foundational rock, a cornerstone. I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is the only time Jesus ever used that word church. And, um, you know, I want to talk about that for a minute. Words are important. Uh, and, and so I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey here of where we got this word church. Um, because it, it might seem like a minor thing, but when I learned this, it was a, this was a big deal to me when I learned it. And I think you'll, you'll appreciate that. So Jesus didn't speak in English. Did you guys know that? Okay, he didn't speak in English. I know we think everybody does. You know, like on Star Trek, even other planets and other nations, they speak in English. In other, other parts of the ga uh, other galaxies, they speak in English. But Jesus didn't speak in English. He spoke in Aramaic, and his words were recorded in Greek. So the whole New Testament is written in Koine Greek. It's the common, common language of all the Roman Empire. Everybody spoke Greek. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but by the time of the first century, they didn't even use that. They didn't use the Hebrew version. They used the Greek translation called the Septuagint that was a couple hundred years old by the time of Jesus. So they all, a lot of times when you read a, a, a quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament, you read that and, and then you go back and read the, you know, in your Old Testament, and maybe they don't match exactly, like something Paul quotes, and then you go back and you read, you know, those of his... If you want to look into this, you look back and you go, well, this is a little different. Did Paul change it? No, it's because Paul was using the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was actually not as good a translation as we have today of the Old Testament. 
So we have a better translation of the Old Testament than even Jesus' followers did because of scholarly, you know, sources and all that kind of stuff. So it's really cool. But anyways, so Jesus is, this is recorded in Greek. This Matthew is, is all written in Greek. And the Greek word for church is ekklesia. That's a Greek word, ekklesia. And where that word originated is, that was the word for the democracy, the democratic gathering in Athens. So if you didn't know, Greece was at one time a democracy before the Caesars took over, or before the, uh, you know, the, uh, what do you call them, uh, Alexander the Great and these emperors took over. Yeah, so it was a democracy. So it was, uh, 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 the, the ecclesia was the name for when these representatives came. You had to be a citizen. You had to be kind of chosen and special, but you all came together and you made decisions. It was a gathering. And so that word ecclesia, then also when the Septuagint was translated, also was used in the Old Testament for a gathering of God's people. And so when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, it means I will build my gathering. I will build, build my, this is my group of people. Does that make sense? So Jesus didn't come to establish a place. He came to establish a people. And he says, this is going to be my people. This is my gathering. This is my movement. This is, this is my peeps, you know, we might say. Jackie said, wow. I'm just trying to relate to the youth, Jackie. Come on. My peeps. Uh, and, and, and so th this word is used 114 times in the Bible. Jesus just uses it here, but it's used a lot in the, in the New Testament. Ecclesia, this gathering, this movement, this people. But what happens is over time, the church, and we'll talk about this more last week, uh, next week, not last week. We can't do that. No, <laughs> sorry. Bear with me here. My mind is just going. I get excited about this stuff. Uh, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of how we got here and the church history stuff. But over time, Jesus' church became something that didn't look at all like Jesus' church. I mean, I mean, by the dark ages, it was like nothing like what you read in the Bible. Uh, but, but over time, it, it got to be where a church became, or, or the, it wasn't about the people. It was about a building. It was about a place. It was about a location, right? And, and, and so... When the Bible was first translated in English, the very first translation was by a guy named William Tyndale. He translated it into the common people. He was burned at the stake for doing it. He was strangled and then burned because he translated the Bible. That's how bad the church was. Oh, no, we don't want people to be able to have their own copy. We don't want them to be able to interpret it for themselves. That's our job. That's pretty bad. They killed the guy because he translated it into a language. But he didn't use the word church. He used the word, he, he translated it gathering. But then when the official, uh, you know, the, the stamp of approval by the king, when it was translated, they threw in this German word, Kirk, Kirk, which we get, we get church, uh, that meant house of the Lord. It meant a place. It meant a location. Why? Because by that time, by the time it was translated into English, that's what it was. It was all about a place that the king has control over and the empire has control over. This is before uh, the, the, the Protestant Reformation. So that's where we get this. And it, it exists to this day, doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't that, I mean, we were talking with the worship team this last week about this lesson and talking about inviting people to church and kind of the reaction we get sometimes when we tell people we meet at a school. And I remember even years ago, if you're visiting with us, we're part of a church called the L.A. Church of Christ that started in 1989, downtown L.A., and then spread out into all these so for a long time, we, you know, you invite somebody or I tell somebody I'm a minister. Oh, for what church? The L.A. Church of Christ. Oh, where in L.A.? 
you know, and it's like, oh, we don't meet in L.A. And you see their mind kind of like, well, why is it called the L.A. Church of Christ then? And, uh, uh, you know, and, and so even, even now, you know, so we, we, we call ourselves the South Bay Church to save confusion because we meet in the South Bay. But, uh, but even now when you, when you kind of have a conversation with people, you see them go, well, I thought a church is a building. I thought a church was a place. That's how people think. I mean, when I was a little kid, we used to have the, the thing where you go like this. You guys remember this? Here is a church. Here is a steeple. Open the doors. Look at all the people. Yeah, that's wrong. Don't teach your kids that. Because the church is the people. The church is the gathering. It's not a place. There were no church buildings in the first century. There were no church buildings for several hundred years. Uh, it was just homes. It was, they gathered in homes. They gathered it wherever they could gather. It was a people. It was a group of people. It was a collection of, of saved souls who wanted to be together. And that's what we're trying to restore today. So I, you know, we, when we were talking with the worship team, I, I said, you know, I kind of like that conversation because I like talking about, yeah, before we met in high school, we met in a, in a Jewish synagogue. And they're like, oh, really? Yeah, and before that, we met in a movie theater. <laughs> oh, really? You know, and, yeah, because it's not about where we meet. And, and, and in fact... We could, I mean, there's nothing wrong with owning a building, but so many resources would go to that. And we've just, at this point, it's made more sense for us to devote our resources to people and to, to projects and serving the poor and doing things in the community and trying to reach people. Like, like it's a great place for us to meet. Uh, we don't have to pay for it every single day, all day long. You know, it's just when we're together. And so it works. And, and so it's a great conversation to have because the church is not a place. It's a people. Jesus did not come to establish a place. He came to establish a people. And I like how he said, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Isn't that a powerful imagery? The gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, do gates move? They do? Oh, they open and close. Okay, they open and close. Do they move location? No. So that's where I think, you know, the gates of Hades, they, they're there, and we're pushing through, but we're the ones moving, right? The kingdom is a movement. We are pushing through even the gates to, to death and snatching people from the flame. That's the imagery Jesus had. It's a conquering kingdom. It's, it's a movement of people. It's a gathering of people. We should not be just stuck the same. We should always be forging into new territory. And, uh, and so, you know, where are the gates of Hades in South Bay? What comes to mind when you think of the gates of Hades in South Bay or the gates of Hades in your household? You know, where are those gates? And are you attacking them? Are the, are, is the kingdom advancing past and defeating those gates of Hades? I love our church. I love this fellowship. I love the diversity. I'm so proud of, you know, the way that everybody here is serving and giving and contributing. And I love just looking around and seeing all ages and all races and all people. And it's awesome. But but, but are we all that Jesus wanted us to be? Are, are the gates of Hades suffering because of the South Bay Church right now? Uh, or, or do we need to, to be more of what he wanted us to be? Uh, the last thing Jesus came to establish is a new commandment. A new commandment. He said in, in uh, John 13, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, what had Jesus just done at this point? He'd washed their feet. He did this, this thing uh, that 
only the slaves would do, which was wash somebody's dusty, dirty feet after they'd been traveling in sandals on dirt roads all day long. And he washed each one of their feet. He said, I'm showing you, I'm sending you an example that you should do this for others. What did he mean by that? He meant humble yourself for others. Serve others. Empty yourself and give to those around you. Uh, When he said wash others' feet, did he mean literally wash their feet? Well, sure, but I think he meant a lot more than that. He meant die to yourself and give to others. That's what it means to be my follower. It's how you love. How is this a new commandment? It's as I have loved you. Think about how he loved us. Think about how Jesus has loved you. Think about the things that Jesus gave up so that we could have a relationship with God. Uh, Think about how much he gave and served. You know, I think about the things he taught about loving and praying for your enemies. Love your enemies, he said. Pray for those who persecute you, he said. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other as well. If someone takes your cloak, all right, here, you can have my tunic as well. You want this? Someone forces you to go one mile. There was a Roman law that a, a Roman soldier could grab any Jew and say, hey, I want you to carry this for a mile. Somebody, some, some Roman soldier comes to you and says, hey, carry my burden for a, a mile. Just go, okay, sir, I'll carry it too. Wow, that, that's a challenge, isn't it? And, and, and those types of teachings, when he says, as I have loved you, so you love each other, that's what he was talking about. Jesus said, love for one another, that's what will define us. And those who are turned off by Christianity, those of you who, as I was talking about before, you've been turned off by religion or by Christians, it's not because they loved so much. You know what I mean? It's not because they were so much like Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus, usually, that people have been turned off by church. It's because his quote-unquote followers are nothing like him that turns people off. And so that's where it's up to you and me. It's a daily thing to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus, to to do these things he said to do to others as he did to us, to love others as he has loved us. And it starts in our own household. You know, even even people who've been around a long time, we can get stuck. The husband doesn't feel respected, and the wife doesn't feel loved. And the more the husband doesn't feel respected, the more the wife doesn't feel loved. It's always that, you know, because it's in, in the Bible. <laughs> Ephesians 5. You know, and, and we get dug into our own viewpoint, and we don't want to die to ourselves and give to them, because, well, then, if I give them my cloak and they take my tunic... What, what am I going to, how am I going to stay warm? You know, we have fears, right? That keep us from emptying ourselves. And so we don't want to be the first to apologize. Or we don't want to be the first to humble ourselves. Or we don't want to be the first to give because we're so afraid. And we're going to talk in this series about pushing through those fears and living by faith. But this is what it means. It's, it's, it's being like Jesus to each other. That's what, it, that's what being a, a part of the church is really all about. And here's the thing. The, the Jesus, Jesus model, it's way less complicated. Love God. Love people, pray for your enemy. You know, love God, love people, love your enemies. That's it. Uh, in, in Galatians, Paul says the whole law of Christ is carry one another's burdens. It's, it's simple. It's just love people. That's it. Way less complicated than the temple model, but far more demanding. Far more demanding. And if, if we're not careful, we can slip into temple model thinking, oh, I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I give my tithe. I'm a Christian because I share my faith. I'm a Christian because... And we can kind of, the temple model again, instead of, okay, I need to be like Jesus. And when you really look at him and the way he loved people and the call to love as he loved us, it's overwhelming, no matter how long you've been around. You look at that and you go, oh, wow, I have a long ways to go. And so that's what this series is going to be about, is, okay, let's be the church that Jesus called us to be. 
So I said, don't go to church. Why did I say don't go to church? Because church isn't a place you go to. Right? A church is not a building. It's not a, an event. It's not a facility. Church is who we are. Be the church. And can you imagine if we really do this? Oh, we can clap. That's good. I, I like that. I heard a couple. You're not clapping for me. You're clapping for this idea of being the church. Uh, imagine if every single one of us really lived like Jesus this week. Imagine if every single one of us was spending each day looking for opportunities to give to others. What, imagine if at school for the teens, you know, you live like Jesus. You don't respond in kind. Somebody is a jerk to you. You're nice back. Uh, somebody steals something from you. You be giving back. Somebody insults you on Facebook or I guess they don't use Facebook. They use, I don't know what they use, Instagram and Snapchat and whatever, but, but you, you're loving back. I mean, imagine if all our teens were like Jesus at school. Imagine if every one of you that works in an office was like Jesus at the office every day. I mean, this is the way that we're going to really, this, th that's what Jesus said. This is how people will know we're my disciples, is if we love one another. And I'm convicted about my own life. You know, I, I, I'm, I do this for a living. I'm a professional minister, and yet I'm challenged by, I need to be more like Jesus. I'm busy, but am I like Jesus? I'm challenged by the Casillas's. You know, I appreciate how they serve the homeless every single month. You know, and I'll, I'll give, whenever I see a homeless person with a sign, you know, I'll stop and I'll give them something. And, but man, I don't have that dedication where I'm going to take out all Saturday and go serve the homeless every month. Like, I, I need to do so much more. That's so much who Jesus was. And I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I just know I need to repent. I need to be more giving to, to those in need. And I want to be more like that, more like Jesus. So next week, we're going to be talking about how we got here. We're going to start looking at the book of Galatians. Over the next five weeks, we'll be looking at different uh, passages from Galatians and, and looking at how we can be the church and how to overcome the fear that keeps us from being like Jesus and really loving as he did. And, and, and that what really counts is faith expressing itself through love. And that's the way we're really going to make a difference. This idea of getting back to the new, back to what Jesus called us to be, the church that is brand new in his name. Two practical things just for you to think about this week. And then uh, Joe Lee's going to come up here and share a couple things. Number one, be aware of temple model thinking in your own relationship with God. You know, think about, am I, am I looking at this like, a temp, like the temple model? Like, okay, I got to do enough so he likes me. Like, I got to do this, I got to do that. Or, or do you understand the Jesus model in your own relationship with God? And is there, number two, is there anything you need to let go of in order for God to take you somewhere or teach you something new? As we're talking about being brand new as a church, think about, is there something new God is doing in my life that I'm holding on to something that's keeping him from, from being who he wants me to be and, and God doing the brand new thing that he wants to do in my life? I, I really believe as we, as we study these things together, God will produce in us the change that he wants to get us back to brand new, back to the church that Jesus established. So thank you for listening. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.